Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mike here drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a gremlin serial killer, a Mother Mary statue that cries blood, and Slenderman, but he's kidnapped too many human children, so we're basically just running a daycare center down here. Kids are actually having fun taking naps and eating snacks? Who knew he was so good at childcare? It's a positive environment for them. I know, right? <laughs> they're having the a great time down here with us, <laughs> and they're learning about shapes. <laughs> I'm Roxy Polk, and I'm Mikey McCaller. So let's start out, Mikey, as we always do, with the scariest things that happened to us this week. So, what went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, we've watched a lot of horror movies, and there's nothing that upsets me more. Then a sudden burst of violent gore. Okay. And this week, I was involved in such a burst. Like in real I, life? Real life in gore? In real life. I'm a man whose uh, hair is on its way out, all right? Things are receding hairline-wise, so I've been shaving my head for a long time. In the shower this week, I was uh -huh. shaving my head and going a little too fast. And Roxy, when I tell you, I sliced open the top of my oh head. My <laughs> it was right at the crown, so I had to wear like a cartoon band-aid <laughs> on my head. And it was just like like a, a solid stream of blood. Head wounds bleed so much more than than like any other wound you get. They just bleed so much more, so it looks even worse than it probably is, but it, I'm not no, no, no. trying to diminish it at all, though. Like, I'm just imagining you rip I the did. strip no, of Roxy, flesh I did. No, Roxy, I pulled the, the razor out, <laughs> oh and it was like a, like a slice of deli turkey. Oh. <laughs> this little flap that I had to oh pull out God. of the, the razor. So uh, I've been in danger. And the worst part, because I sliced at the top of my head, I'm visibly cringing. You guys can't see this. I'm just visibly cringing. Well, this is the worst part. My head. Okay, Mikey. About this is the absolute worst part. Okay, is ne because the wound was at the tip top of my head. Now everyone can hear my thoughts. They're seeping out of oh, my brain. Okay, you you yeah. got rid of the special plating, Mikey. The the bandage didn't help. It didn't keep your thoughts from going out. It's it contributed. No, to this. I mean it stifled them. To be sure. But like still okay. some slipped out, you know, just every once in a while you'd be like, uh, sex. And people would be like, what are you thinking about, Mikey? And I'm like, uh, math? And then it would just be like, sex, sex. <laughs> and then I'd be like, ah, I got it. I'm like, hey, Mikey, I, how's Whole30 going? All I want to do is eat a burrito. <laughs> it's going really great, I mean. <laughs> I, I like the idea that I don't. <laughs> think about anything specific i just sit and think the word yes over and over <laughs> no details or anything what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week uh so the scariest thing that happened to me this week is video game related so yay we get to talk more about video Ooh. games which is a good thing the thing that scared <laughs> me though was a jump scare that happened in the resident evil remake so the first one Ooh. taking place in the all-time great game yeah the scary basement scary basement there is a scary basement in there uh, but it is that game has a scary basement. Has multiple scary basements, even. <laughs> um, but so I was going through the mansion. It's a big, big mansion. Uh, it's I was playing it on PS4, but it's the one that was the original like GameCube remake. So it's like from what 2005 or something. Two 2002. 2002. Damn. It still it looks great. Holds up really well. But if you played it before, you'll know that there is a crimson head zombie that you see pretty early, but it's just like playing dead on the ground for a really long time. Mm -hmm. 
I remembered him coming to life a lot later than when he did, but he jumped up and ran at me and I was not expecting it. Because normally I'm like, yeah, I've played this game multiple times. I know what's coming next. I, I forgot that part. And he jump scared the shit out of me. And I'm not someone who gets uh -huh. jump scared easily. So I was just yelping. And then after that, because I was playing it on Twitch uh, for like Halloween special, my buddy Steve realized that he could jump scare me with my own alerts. So he would like donate <laughs> to me, which was sweet. But then it would be like, ah. <laughs> it was a jump scare because it's so quiet and moody in that game and it's got such a good atmosphere that I'd just be like very focused thinking about like what's this puzzle I'm gonna do next in like practically silence because there's a lot of places that don't have mm -hmm. even background music or it's just ambient zombies moaning or the walls creaking and uh yeah I don't think I've been that jump scared on a single stream in a really long time Mikey bah! did I get you just now no discord cut out the sound <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, it was too loud. Damn it. <laughs> All right. We did it. Um, I know what specific zombie you're talking about in that game because the very first time I played that Resident Evil remake back in 2002, I was mm -hmm. playing it with my cousin slash best buddy, and we were in that hallway, and it, it like it's lying face down, and it kind of just like floats up to its feet. Yeah. And we thought it was going to slowly ramble at us. Oh, so no, he got what, those claws, too. He got his nails did. What I was going to say was, I am the hunter. You are the prey. This is right. he sprinted yep. at us. So I said it very fast. And I said, I am the hunter. You are the prey. <laughs> and it scared me so much <laughs> and uh, scared Colin as well. I honestly can't remember if he said it or I said it. But we then called those zombies, not Crimson Heads, which they are actually called in the video game. But we called them, I am the hunter. You are the prey's. That's right. I remember you <laughs> so, telling me about this, too, like, years ago. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I will always think of them. You're kind of planning your route around the mountain. You're like, we can't go back there. There's an I am the hunter. You are the prey over there. So we're going to mm -hmm. go. We're going to loop down through the dining room. Which, like, this game has a possibility for every zombie you kill to become like that if you don't burn them. And you only have a limited mm. amount of kerosene with which to burn them. So you have to be strategic about it because you will run out and then you'll have a bunch of them that you have to run into. Or... You just don't kill zombies and then they never turn into. I mean, that's also a thing. Yep. Yeah. There's one on like <laughs> the above the dining room with like the fireplace where Barry's like, maybe this is Chris's blood or whatever. There's like a top uh -huh. one where you shove a uh, statue off. But there's just like one guy who you can just go in a circuit and never kill him. There's like so much leeway. I never kill that uh -huh. one <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the funnest part of that game is deacon out zombies. <laughs> yep, yep. Alright, well, I see Demon Bot stomping over here. He heard us talking oh, about zombies and got jealous that we weren't talking about Demon Robot Butlers. Mikey and Roxy, this week you were assigned the 2007 film 30 Days of Night. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Yes, Roxy, I did watch 30 Days of Night, did you? I sure did as well. Good, then you may keep your souls, for now. So, for this week, we watched 30 Days of Night, which is a movie from 2007. Uh, so, how about, Mikey, we give a plot summary for anybody who might be listening up at the basement door. That's the plan. Let's do it. All right. The most northern town in the United States, Barrow, Alaska, is preparing for its annual 30 Days of Night during winter, where they will not see the sun for an entire month. As the small town prepares, with much of its population leaving the township, a stranger from a large unseen ship makes his way into town the town sheriff ebon who i thought was named evan the entire film right. finds a small fire that burned what appears to be all of the town's cell phones that's strange 
Eben then gets a call, letting him know that the only helicopter in town was damaged and unable to function as well. And that's very strange. Even stranger, and more horrifying, all the dogs in town are murdered. Something very wrong is happening in Barrow, Alaska. Eben then gets a call about a stranger causing trouble in the diner, so he heads over to check it out. Stella, Eben's estranged wife, is also in town on fire marshal business and has missed the last plane out of town. <laughs> Stranded, Stella ends up in the diner, and both she and Eben subdue the stranger who is causing trouble there. Together, they bring him into the small sheriff's office and throw him in a cell. The man mumbles about how they are coming, and that nothing the humans can do will save them. We're then introduced to Eben's little brother and his grandmother. Right as the power goes out and shit starts to hit the fan. The town is besieged by fucked up looking vampires with big black eyes, rows of needle-like teeth, and communicating in their own unique language. The vampires absolutely decimate the town. Eben, his kid brother, Stella, and a small band of survivors are able to take shelter in a house with a hidden attic to avoid the vampires. Sadly, Grandma doesn't make it. I don't know why that's funny to me. <laughs> just as, like as an it's afterthought, as somebody, yeah. As though somebody just walked into the house and was just like, sadly, Grandma didn't make it. And then they turned and left and continued the about is, their business. That's like basically how the movie treats it because you just see that the police station has a lot of blood in there. And then later mm -hmm. the kid brother's just like, they kill grandma. And like, that's it. Like, you don't get a death <laughs> scene from this character who is like a very nice old lady. Mm -hmm. You've learned she has cancer. She's taking marijuana for the cancer. <laughs> the kid brother moved in with her. And Eben jokes like, oh, you just want to live with grandma so you could smoke weed and he's like no it's so that you and your wife who are now you're now estranged from can like have private time <laughs> so it's like a huge plot point that this grandma exists and then she's just like deleted from the movie she's very gone. unceremoniously she's gone okay so at this point marlo the lead vampire finds the stranger who paved the way for all the vampires to get the drop on the town this stranger did it all so that he could become a vampire but Marlo tricked him and has no intention of doing that whatsoever. He kills him instantly. We then jump forward 18 days when a blizzard descends upon the town. Eben and the survivors decided to use the whiteout conditions as cover to get supplies in the general store as they are running out of food. When there, they encounter a terrifying vampire child who they are forced to kill. The blizzard ends before the group can leave the store. So now everyone's stranded. Eben creates a diversion while the others escape to the sheriff's station. Eben succeeds in drawing the vampires to him at his grandmother's house. She had a UV light for all her marijuana plants. And Eben mm -hmm. uses his light against the vampires to simulate sunlight. Uh, it ends up burning Marlo's lover so badly that he decides to kill her to put her out of her misery. Uh, can't have Aww. a burned face lover, apparently. She's damaged goods, I guess. This guy's son. <laughs> The vamps cut the power to the light, but Eben is able to get away. It's then that the town snowplow driver creates another distraction to save Eben this time. He uses his plow to kill many vampires and plan to blow himself up, but unfortunately he does not get to, and Marlo, the vampire leader, kills him instead. Eben mm. makes it back to the station and is forced to kill a survivor who was bitten back in the convenience store and is in the process of turning into a vampire. Time passes, and it's now day 27. The group sees a signal light from Eben's deputy, and both Stella and Eben go to help him. The deputy, though, oh, he did a bad one. The deputy has killed his wife and daughters with single gunshots to the head to spare them from the more painful death that the vampires would bring. This deputy had planned to kill himself, but he ran out of ammo. Bull. 
The three of them then decide to head to the only place in town that still has power. A sewage treatment power plant kind of place. But unfortunately, they get separated on the way there. Stella saves a young girl who lost her family to the vampires and is wandering out in the snow. So she is separated from Eben and the deputy. Eben and the deputy make it to the power station, but the deputy is bit by a vampire. Eben knocks this vampire that bit him into a heavy-duty shredder and is then forced to kill his deputy as he, too, begins to turn into a vampire. It's a whole mess. With the month almost at its end and the sun about to rise, the vampires begin to burn the town down to destroy all the evidence of their existence before they move on to the next town. There's a very funny sequence where the head vampire is like, we spent centuries trying to convince them we didn't exist. It's like, why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why Mm -hmm. do you do that? (laughs) With Stella trapped and about to die from the elements and the threat of the vampires inflicting this tragedy on others, Eben makes a decision. He takes blood from his dead deputy and injects it into himself so he will have the powers and abilities of a vampire and can fight with them on equal ground. Evan and Marlowe fight as the other vampires watch because I guess they wanted to be a one-on-one fair fight. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) It's a a quite desperate fight, but in the end, Evan eventually wins by punching a hole through Marlowe's mouth out the back (laughs) of his head, killing this lead vampire. The other vampires scatter now that they have no leadership and they leave the town alone. But they're still out there somewhere doing things. Not great. Mm. As the sun begins to rise, Eben knows that he will die. But since he doesn't want to live as a vampire, he's chill with it. Eben and Stella go to the place where they had their first date. A beautiful vista with a wonderful view of the horizon. They share one last kiss as Stella cradles Eben. As his body burns away in the sunlight and turns to ash. There are survivors, but at great cost. And would anyone even believe their story? We will never know as the movie ends on Stella's heartbroken expression in the morning light. And Roxy, that is 30 days of night. That's 30 days of night. Oh, Roxy, we got to talk about this movie. Yep. What would you think? Oh, I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) I hated this movie. (laughs) Okay, let me tell you something that happened to me, first of all. Uh Um, I am somebody who watches a movie without subtitles. So um, as I was watching this movie, uh, the subtitles were on by default. I went and turned them off. And towards the end of the movie, I realized that I had missed. uh, Somebody said something that I missed. And so I turned on subtitles Uh and found out that the lead vampire, I thought it was just a pantomime performance. And it was the one interesting choice this movie made. I found out there were just subtitles. He was talking in subtitles. He had lines of dialogue the whole time that I totally missed. Oh, my God. Okay. I assume those were just built into the movie itself. I always have subtitles on just in case I, like, miss something or somebody Mm -hmm. can, like, mumble a line or not say it very loudly. Um, So I just have them on by default. But I assumed that those ones that are, like, integral to the plot would be just on the screen hard-coded in. That feels like the answer. Put plot-important subtitles Uh in the movie. And the English track, you put in the subtitles of the vampires in English. If we're listening to a French movie, you put those subtitles in French, right? Like, I get it. I get that uh-huh. uh, you, <laughs> I turn subtitles off. That's on me. Cannot do actual lines of dialogue if the only way we're getting so you, you missed, I was like, furious. You missed all of the vampire lines except for like the one at the end where he's saying that line about how we mm-hmm. tried to be children's stories or whatever. That's the only one it's, I caught. But oh also, God. here's the thing. That vampire's motivations were not super complex, were they? Like, it felt like I pretty much got the point of the scenes just from the way he was acting and behaving. I could see that, yeah. 
Honestly, it's very stupid because they don't even take their time killing people to, like, drain them. The way these vampires work in general, I think it's very stupid. Um, one of the things <laughs> in particular is just how they feed on people is funny to me because the way that they, like, when they bite someone, they, like, move their head around a lot. They shake it around a lot and it just looks silly. <laughs> they do. Like, what they? are you doing? Like, you're trying to rip a chunk out, but you've already ripped it out. And aren't you supposed to be drinking the blood, not, like, eating meat from them? Like, it makes these no zombies. sense. You these just zombies call them zombies. Decide. Well, I, I, oh, that, yep, that's right. And I'm, uh -huh. I'm going to do that a lot because what I was going to say was these vampires cannot decide if they're vampires or zombies. They act very zombie-like throughout most of the movie. Yeah, they're kind of like feral and animalistic. They're not like, despite the fact that the main vampire is like wearing kind of a suit jacket and stuff, like they're not refined looking. They don't really speak particularly eloquently. Um, they just kind of like look at you with a monster face and like make monster screeches. Um, right. And, and that's the way the that thing, they like, rampage through that town, like if they've been starving on a ship and they're trying to work their way through these towns, it's like the dumbest way to ever do that. So it, it only makes sense that they're like wild beasts to do it that way. Like it is a much more zombie so... mindless attack. Roxy, it was so funny to me when... They, like, clearly have this planned attack. They're like, we've got to find the town. Yeah, like, they set it up to, like, isolate them. It seems really interesting yeah. and planned out with, like, the cell phones going missing, the dogs that would be able to use uh -huh. to attack and sense them are gone. They cut the power off. They get rid of the uh, the helicopters so they can't escape. And, like, they're they waiting the specifically till, till the last plane leaves as well. So, like, nobody's coming back for a month. They uh, have and the then they go and do this. plan ever. And then they just go... Fucking hog wild. They're like, ah, zombie? Ah, they're screaming and biting people. And it's like, you just pulled off a, a really subtle, technical, like a coup. You did politics uh -huh. and subterfuge to get yourself in the most advantageous position. Like, I think whoever planned this is so pissed. He's just like, Jason, Jason, settle down. Don't bite him. No, stay in the shadows. No, what are you? Oh, come on, buddy. It's like, if you ever have been to a bachelor party <laughs> and there's <laughs> one guy who planned it and the other guys are like, yeah, 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 skydiving. That sounds cool. That sounds cool. Cool, cool. Let's go to the strip club. And everybody's like, yeah, strip club. And they're like, but we've got reservations to this great restaurant tonight. And it's like, nah, dude, strip club. <laughs> bah, 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 bah. He's like, I worked hard. <laughs> <laughs> So I think a lot is lost in the translation because this is originally a comic and it's like a three comic miniseries. It's very short. Um, this movie mm. is way too long for what it adapts. Uh, I, and Roxy, it can is I so tell you padded. exactly what I it said? It is padded to hell and back. I, uh, okay, I, I, I wrote down uh, 30 days of night, more like 30 minutes too long. Yep. Yeah, you're not right. Or you're not wrong. This is an hour and 20 right. minute movie. This yeah. is an hour and 20 minute movie. It would have been so much better if it was more concise. They may, they waste so much time, and then simultaneously, like, you've got an entire month to work with, so you could have done fun things with that, and what they chose what? to do was a lot of the same scenes. One that was very, like, emotionally poignant, I guess, was that deputy killing his family, but, like, we never meet his family at all. Um, and apparently, uh -huh. in screenings, like, they almost were not able to have this movie be made because people were upset by the implications of that, like, at the studio level, and told them, like, take out that scene. But so if they take mm. out that scene, then that deputy is acting really weird later, and you don't know why. <laughs> so, like, test audiences were like, okay, but why was he acting weird like that? So they were able to argue to put that scene back in. Um, mm. But I think if we had met the family beforehand, they might not have even been able to do that, because there are these characters you never meet who are then killed off screen. 
and you don't even see their bodies. They're like in the bed covered up and there's like a blood stain Mm -hmm. where their forehead would be, assuming that he just shot them execution style to kill them instantly. Um, But you never see anything beyond just like bodies covered in sheets very vaguely. Well, this Uh, gets into kind of what I was picking up on as the big idea of this movie. This movie is a very rare instance where I think that like, its central message is like well articulate. Like this is a well-made film that has a point of view that it like articulates very well. And the details that tell this story are all there. I just think what they're saying is stupid. (laughs) Like it's a very interesting idea that is ultimately heightened super highly by the deputy murdering his own family. This question of freedom versus community. I Hmm. thought was very like a a super interesting idea. There's a three line of that. Yeah. They, there's like a, a guy who lives high up in the guy. mountains or whatever. Snowplow yeah, guy. Yeah, he's yes. like on on the ridge living by himself. He snowplows for the town. Uh, is his job. Yeah. So he and there's this whole thing where him. like Josh Hartnett as the sheriff, like uh, Eben. That was the other thing. It wasn't until I turned on subtitles that I learned his name was Eben and not Evan. Really? You were like, man, just they're saying the word Evan. Evan really weird. Why are they saying <laughs> Evan like that? <laughs> I thought they were just saying the word Evan regular. I'm furious oh, okay. about it. Um. <laughs> There's this moment where Eben gives him a gives this snowplow guy a ticket for like letting oil drip. And he's like, isn't that why we live so far away so that we have freedom? And when the deputy asks Eben why he gave him the ticket, he's like, every once in a while, I want to remind him with a citation that he's part of a community. And there's this very interesting through line that this movie articulates in a very interesting way that you can have individual freedom. But if your individual freedom comes at the cost of the group, at the cost of your community, like that's the price you pay and that maybe that's a worthwhile cost. Hmm. If we let go of our individual needs and support the community, we are more likely to survive. And the deputy is obviously a criminal. And Eben makes the point very clear because you hurt your family. You hurt your community. And I would use the words family and community here interchangeably. Mm -hmm. Um, You hurt your family. You should never hurt your family. You protect your family. Yeah. And Eben's way of enacting that is to constantly be self-sacrificing in a way yeah. that is very stupid and actually I would argue harmful for a, a real family. And it was it was like by the end of this movie when he is putting vampire juice in his veins to go protect his family, I was just like, shut the fuck up. Like I, I it's the first time I tangibly rolled my eyes in a movie. Because it was like, I get what you're saying here, right? You support the community all costs even to your own individual freedom serenity uh ability to survive and but it's just like that's such a dumb reasoning (laughs) i could see you not liking that i think specifically because he is in a position as sheriff and like the ideal role of a sheriff is to do something like that so i feel like he's a very idealized character that I don't really know That's if people true. in real life would act like this, but it would be it. It's kind of like what you would want out of someone in that position of power, where they are actually looking to look out for them, the rest of their community. They are actually like putting their life on the line to help them. And it's like in a situation where he wouldn't even have to, because all law and order is gone. Like he could choose to mm-hmm. not do that, but he chooses to do that, which I think is a very heroic choice. Um, but I think also, I think Josh Hartnett does a very good job at like selling kind of the conflict that he seems to have with doing that to just be like well i guess i'm gonna die and then everybody's gonna be left without me and they're gonna be left with like survivor's guilt that sucks Mm -hmm. but i don't know any other way to do it 
it also just kind of feels like he feels like he's the only one who can solve the situation. He's not really going to other folks to be like, can you help me do this? So it is kind of like yeah, this community oriented thing. But then he is also choosing to like go off on his own to do the self-sacrificing thing where it's like, maybe we could have come up with a smarter way to do that. Like, maybe we could have tried to burn them all or something <laughs> while they're burning the town. Maybe we could have done anything like self-sacrifice should only be when there's literally no options left. And I feel like they could have spent so much of that busy work time, the the half hour of like extra dead kind of air in the middle part of the movie. They could have spent that trying to come up with a way for them to be like, no, you idiot. You've been self-sacrificing this whole time. Like, that's not what the community is about. We have to stand up together and do this as a team instead of mm -hmm. it being just like the one on one death match that they have at the end. And, and I guess that's what I mean when I say like this movie's point of view is articulated very well. I just think that point of view is very stupid because you're mm. right. There is no community like <laughs> liaison. <laughs> There's nobody who is like because I would argue the solution of my wife is trapped under a car. And if she comes out, the vampires will kill her. Or if she stays, she gets burned to death. I do not understand. And it worked out, so fair enough. But I do not understand a character's thinking where my solution to that is to become a vampire and fight them. It was the stupidest, like, it was so, like, off base. Because you're exactly right. Why do the rest of the vampires let them fight yeah. mono mono? And they haven't really established, like, that guy is the leader of the vampire, but these aren't vampires that have, like, honor. They're more beastly. Yeah. So I don't know if it's supposed to be a whole wolf pack thing, but, like, the whole alpha wolf thing is a myth and not real. So I don't know if it was they were like, oh, he's challenging to be, like, the new leader of the pack the or something. Leader. But it's like, of course <laughs> he's not going to do that. And then they all scatter after he wins anyway. So even if they were thinking that, they didn't act on that at all. So it kind of has no purpose to do it in that way well, if if they had and, and established them as being more hierarchical or like the main vampire guy was like hey none of you interfere with this fight this one's mine because he like mm -hmm. killed my wife or my my lover with the uv light so i want this like it would make sense if it was more of a self-motivated grudge match but they seem more animalistic not just in the way they like move act and whatever but the way they think like they don't really seem to have attachments the same way or like emotions the same way like when mm. his lover dies he's just kind of he says so you didn't read this because you didn't have the subtitles but he says like what was broken can never be remade and then he kills her so it's <laughs> like that's literally like something to the effect of that is what he says um that's so it's not like he had an emotional <laughs> attachment with her she's just like his girl who he runs with um and then she dies because law of the jungle animal law like I guess she dies. That sucks. I'll find a new one or whatever. Mm -hmm. he, it doesn't seem like it's a revenge thing. There's that little girl vampire who I was almost like, is she like the child of one of these guys? Like, why did they choose to make a child vampire? <laughs> That's always a different thing in a lot of other vampire media where different vampire cultures will view like making a child vampire is a huge weird thing that you shouldn't do like we watched oh, interview, sure. with the interview with the vampire talked about that yeah. that was a huge thing i know that twilight had like subplot about that there's plenty of other media that does that where it's like they're going to be an eternal child um and do they have any agency in that and so i was thinking well, but that's why maybe it's like a, be... that's a zombie trope yeah. the zombie trope is that like a child just gets bit sometimes because the zombies are animals yeah so it's like <laughs> what are they're you? Using, what they're are you they're applying a lot of zombie tropes to these vampires, which in a way it makes them more unpredictable and can be more scary in a way where they feel more like uh, pack animals with zombie brutality, but they're 
They they are like attacking mindlessly, but not as mindlessly as like a zombie would because they are coordinated. I guess I would I guess. say like um, for me, this just made the whole movie like so confusing. It was just mm-hmm. like, how come sometimes Josh Hartnett can run outside and mm-hmm. not worry about finding zombies? Like because they're not pack like like zombies, but they're not like I think this movie would have worked better. You tell me what you think about this. Okay. I think this movie might have worked better if there was just one zombie. And you still have this, or I'm sorry, yeah. just one vampire. Yeah. And you still have this, like, we're trapped in town. We know he's out there. But we kind of still have to go about our lives a little bit because well, It we, would be a lot know. smarter, a lot more interesting. It seems like they just wanted to kind of tell a, ta- a story about a town under siege. And they just chose, like, the wrong creature. Like, maybe, do like, werewolves would have worked better than this. You know, like, mm-hmm. we're talking about pack animals or whatever. There's something that, you know, kind of just go in ham. They also don't need to sustain themselves on blood the same way a vampire would. So them decimating the town would be more like, yeah, yeah they're just killing the things that exist here. It It's kind of just like they established this from existing source material. So they had to keep it that way. And in the existing source material, mm-hmm. there is, like, a vampire who is not even in the story at all. I don't remember his name, this, but he's... In this movie? He, yes, like in, in the original source material in the comics. So he exists in the comics, okay. but not in the the movie. Which, again, the comics are three issues. It's very small. You would have been able to adapt <laughs> it uh, more faithfully. But so there is an ancient vampire who is the leader who tells them, don't do this because we need to be secretive so people won't discover us and, you know, send the military or nukes after us. You know, like, we, mm-hmm. we have to... Our, our advantage is stealth, and our advantage is people don't think we exist. And so then mm-hmm. the lead vampire, Marlowe, or whatever, in the movie, in the comics, he's just a guy who goes rogue and exposes himself and goes ham in the town. So then the ancient mm-hmm. vampire guy has to be like, well, I guess we gotta kill all the witnesses because you did this. Um, mm-hmm. But so that character who is, like, smarter about things doesn't exist at all. Um, so there's <laughs> nothing to rein them in. It could make a little more sense if it's like, oh yeah, this is like a rogue element within their group that decided to do this. So then you could kind of justify a lot of the dumb choices from that. Like they're mm-hmm. kind of a loose cannon type. Um, but yeah, so that, that nuance doesn't like, exist at all. I don't know if it would make it better or worse or whatever, but it. Well, it, it would explain why there's this dichotomy because like, yeah. the, I think a good horror movie has to establish what the threat is. The threat Mm -hmm. in Chucky is that nobody will believe you. The threat in Jason is that there's nothing we can do to stop this thing. The threat in in Nightmare on Elm Street is that you can't not go to sleep. Like, we kind of understand what the threat is. With this, the threat is both. (laughs) That there are pack animals out there and that they are vampires who can turn us into them, who are um, seductive. Like, I would argue that that guy in the diner who has, like, the the black teeth. Oh yeah. Is, yeah. The, uh, the stranger who is like the human thrall who is doing their bidding. Yes. Without question, the best character in this movie. It's just he, having so a fun funny. time. Yeah. He's like a cartoon character next to Josh yeah. Hartnett who like feels like a normal person, uh, which is very <laughs> fun and goofy and kind of sets the tone for what you assume it's going to be. You think it's maybe going to be a little bit more fun and then no, it's just very kind of self-serious and kind of sad and kind of mean. <laughs> And very gory. I wrote, I wrote exactly that uh, because you're right. If this guy didn't exist, this movie would be the worst thing I've ever seen. That's not true. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> that's not true. That felt hyperbolic. But like this guy, you're exactly right. He makes you feel like it's going to be this kind of movie. And I took this note yeah. and didn't realize they were connected. But I was just like, tone. I wish these vampires were having more fun. Yeah. Like you've got 30 days. 
days of night, baby. And, and they're like, just go like nuts. Like party. Like have a party. You could never have a party before. All of a sudden, like you could yeah, have a they, vampire. Like, like if there were fun the articulations of this. They're not really having fun with it. I mean, maybe they sort of are. They're just kind of like hissing and doing whatever. Uh, it seems <laughs> like sometimes they're taking pleasure in killing people sort of sadistically. Like one lady is watching her husband get stabbed and pinned to a wall and screaming while mm-hmm. the lead vampire and his lady are watching. And they seem to enjoy that, I guess. A lot of uh, beating people up before they yeah. There's also one (laughs) vampire extra. My God, Mikey, this one vampire extra in particular that gets so much screen time (laughs) never says a single line. He has like a very wide face, so he's like very. Oh, distinct. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, he's got a wide face and he's bald, and he's just always sort of, sort of looking down and like grinning with his mouth too big, and it looks so stupid every time I see him. It's just like, who the fuck are you? You're not a named <laughs> character, but you're right in the front line in the spotlight in this yeah. scene. You don't have a any single line of dialogue, so they probably just paid you the f- wages of an extra because you're not a named vampire. <laughs> um. So, like, why is he getting so much screen time? It's so weird. <laughs> and every time he was in a he scene, looks, it made it more goofy. Good. I I think he looks terrible because his face looks so round. Like, he has too many prosthetics on his face that he's fake looking. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. No, that's true. I do remember thinking, like, is that guy? Is that what his face looks like? But yeah. then when I saw a bunch of other vampires who have similar structures on their face, uh-huh. it was just like, no, he's the one with the vampire makeup dialed up to 11. Yeah, God bless him. He's huge basketball face. <laughs> just the size. Roxy, how come sphere. so many people got two faced in this movie? Uh, that one lady did get burned half her face. That's one lady true. gets two faced. Josh Hartnett gets two faced. I um, mean, he's burning completely at that point, but he is two faced for like an instant before he completely. He, is, burns, he, he has an instance of two faced. But um, Snowplow guy also gets two faced in a scene that doesn't need to exist. We see him set off a bomb. He explodes. And then we get this next weird little, like, coda to the scene where he, like, is still alive, but he's been two-faced. Yeah, and he's, he's like, gonna, like, up, and then the vampire stops him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How come? This yeah, that's just, like, wasted grim. food. It's, like, va- wasted food. It's kind of, like, <laughs> the the opponents feel so stupid in this where, like, if I could respect them for being smarter or just, like, acting on animal instinct, you know... They'd Ugh. feel more scary because then it's more like an actual threat. There's thought process behind it. But they just kind of like do things which feel so dumb. Like if they're if they're trying to ration their food, this is a really small town. And if they're going to try and go to the next town, like they have to be smart about it, especially when they've got a huge group of folks. Like if it was a single vampire, then, you know, it would change how they would have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. But they have an entire community of vampires to look out for. So it makes even less sense because they're killing everybody. I don't know. I assume vampire rules. They can't drink coagulated blood after these corpses have been dead for a while they also don't want to turn to make more of them because they say like that's another thing that you didn't see because of subtitles mikey the lead Mm -hmm. vampire says make sure you decapitate them like if you drink from them so that they don't also become vampires uh Mm. because they don't want to make more of them and they don't want to absorb anyone from this community into their community i guess um okay that sounds right I remember wondering why I, I didn't understand why he wouldn't just turn their familiar into a vampire. Yeah, it would make sense because he's so loyal and he wants to be one right. of you. I I don't get it like, either. Okay, he's done. And especially because once they transform, like we didn't put this in the summary, but there's the guy who owns the dogs, him and his wife. Yeah. They get turned and Eben, when he meets him, doesn't know he's turned yet. 
But so it seems kind of like once you become a vampire, like I said, your your emotions and stuff from before aren't really there anymore. You are just kind of taken over to be this beastly thing that views humans as lower than you. Even though it's like, mm. you were once that. Like, you were once that, buddy. Like, I understand <laughs> how vampire media does this, where they view humans as lesser than because they're food. But they seem to always forget the fact that it's like, but you used to be one of those things. Did you forget right. that? Anyway, that's that. me going going off topic about how I just hate that trope. <laughs> but so he doesn't know he's <laughs> turned and he's trying to kill Evan. So it's like you don't retain any of those memories or feelings or really any sort of attachment to your human life by the sounds of things. You just kind of become mm-hmm. one of these pack creatures. So it's like they wouldn't really be hurting anything by making more of them, I guess, to add Ooh. to their party here. Because like if they became a problem later, I guess this guy could just kill his own his own crew if they were in the way or a problem. Mm-hmm. He seems like the kind of guy who would do that. I guess maybe more mouths to feed, but then at the same time, if they're having issues struggling against these humans, why not just change them and add to your number? Why not just, just take over all the small number. towns in Alaska? Like, nobody's going to notice for a really long time. You could just keep mowing also, through. Can we talk real quick? <laughs> we, can, we can't just keep listing things we hate about this movie, but we will. Um, we should talk about what some a good waste. things. There are good things here, too. but No, there's not. What, uh, what hey. a waste of a cool pres- premise, right? Yeah. The idea that you have been I mean. a vampire and you have 30 days of night. And I guess that's why it tracks to me more that you would have, if not one vampire, then a smaller number. Yeah. Because the problem with being a vampire is that you can't ever be out during the day. Mm-hmm. So you only have this, like... I guess you come out at night and then everybody's like, well, it's pretty weird that people are disappearing in our town. But, you know, uh, Mr. Johnson, he's only out at night. This is kind of weird. Let's talk to him. But if you have 30 days, then it's like, okay, now I can roll into town and I can go to the general store and I can be working. And I'd be like, Ugh, hard time to be. <laughs> I wish I hadn't moved here during the 30 days of night. Uh-huh. And then you've got a, a way to play this experience. The way this town gets cut off. Like, you well, can still drive they, away, right? I don't think they <laughs> ever look normal. But yeah, you could drive away. And so they destroyed the plane, but cars are fine. There's still plenty of cars that are okay. There's yeah. a scene where yeah. Evan and Stella are in a car and one of them jumps on the top of the car and, like, runs mm-hmm. them off the road. And then one of them picks up the back of the car when they're trying to drive and can't drive. So I guess maybe that's supposed to establish that if you try to drive away, they get you right away, maybe. Right. Um. So okay. I think that's what they were trying to do, but... Maybe there was a line that even said that that I forgot, but I feel like you could have done that to distract them and then have a team of folks drive away. Like you, I feel like they could have tried to orchestrate something like that. They don't. I guess I should say like the setting, like the setting, good idea. The way the set is handled, even though I know a lot of it is not actually filmed in snow, it I think it passes off pretty good. I'd say like the sets are very effective at what they're trying to communicate. I agree. I think that the snowfall looks nice. Like, it's a cool uh, atmosphere that this movie sets up. Yeah. And, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of the acting, like, like I said, I think Josh Hartnett does a very good job selling, like, the emotions his character is going through, whether they necessarily make sense writing-wise or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I think he does a good job as an actor. I think Stella, his wife, she does a pretty all right job, too. Um, and, like, yeah. their chemistry, you can really feel the chemistry that they had history and they really cared about each other. I think the two of them do a very mm-hmm. good job, like, playing off one another. Kind of like the way the townies interact with each other before stuff goes bad. Like, it does very much sell that small town community where everybody knows each other. Everybody's in each other's business because, like, they're estranged. It seems like she just doesn't want to live in the middle of nowhere the whole rest mm-hmm. of her life. So she's like, okay, I need to not live here anymore. I can't handle it. But everybody's like... Reasonable. 
reason to break up with your husband. We can't live in the same place. <laughs> like, well, yeah, she just can't separate. handle living there. Yeah, like I wouldn't be able to. Everybody's do just it like, either. why'd you guys separate? It's like because our relationship is in a town that has thirty days of night. Yeah, I can't live here. Are you kidding me? This is something like that bothers me so much here. about The Bachelor. Like, when people from The Bachelor meet and they're from different parts of the world or the country and they never talk about where we're going to live if we end up together at the end of The Bachelor. Yeah, it's huge, a huge reason deal. to not be in a relationship with somebody if they live yeah. somewhere you can't imagine yourself living. Yeah. And so you get the sense that it's like they didn't fall out of love with each other. She just couldn't handle it anymore. And like he mm-hmm. wanted to respect her decision but also wishes she was still there. So there's like a tension that I think they pull off pretty well. And I think having a sort of i would much rather have that sort of character dynamic where it's characters who obviously like each other they're trying to get over a thing and have this established relationship than like if she was a new love interest that like so many movies just throw in to be like well we need to have a love story here so we're gonna do it it doesn't feel very that's forced. true i i definitely prefer a couple with history versus yeah. like well tonight's the night where we're I, we're gonna survive and i finally am gonna tell you my feelings no you're not yeah and i think also it adds a lot of added gravity to the end of the movie where it's like she missed out on her shot to try and tell him how she felt while she could so you really feel the loss of this missed opportunity of them being able to reconcile because you feel like they did emotionally but then they didn't get to because he dies at the end so Mm. i think that story through line that hit for me enough but i'd say it's pretty much the only story through line emotionally mm. that hit it all for me i don't know if it was even really trying to do any more than that honestly so maybe that was fine uh but what do you think i liked that the grandma smoked pot no oh, i mean that's a great joke <laughs> grandma smoking <laughs> well, pot had that uv like- light most most stoners are like young guys playing GameCube. This is an old grandma smoking pot and playing GameCube. I was like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" This rule. yeah, this grandma's cool, mm. Mikey. Did you know this grandma's cool? <laughs> well, was there anything else you you want to talk about about the movie at large that you can think about? No. <laughs> no? no. All right. Then let's move <laughs> no, on. I'm sorry, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> As we're talking about this movie, I'm just like, God, why does what a waste of a cool idea? Yeah. Hey, maybe we should do the rewrite. We can do the remake, Mikey. We will do be great. 30 Days of Night Redux or something. It would be it would be okay, it's one vampire and he's a very fancy man. And he comes to town right as the 30 days of night begin and he wears a top. But hat. does his face still look like the vampires in this? <laughs> <laughs> does he still look like that he's like this is just a bit i'm doing don't worry about it <laughs> tips his hat i th- I, th- I i think you're right i think he would at least need to have sharp vampire teeth but he's like doing a pretty good job of covering them okay like he, so he doesn't have like, like the weird molded face and like the yeah black I think he eyes. looks like a man so he can interact with the community and then they like eben can be working to solve a crime <laughs> like wow a lot of people are disappearing what do we do you think it was that fancy man it's like he's the acting like a vampire pans but... over and he's like standing there shifty eyed like mm, i wonder <laughs> then goes back Ooh. to evan no can't be him he's too fancy for that he wouldn't have you found any this. clues yet detective oh i'm sure you'll catch the culprit soon <laughs> he tiptoes away and evan's like that's a weird guy but he's out during the day so he must not be a vampire <laughs> <laughs> Evan, why are you? Why have you suspected vampires? I don't know. It's something like I got feeling about it. I guess or not, because he's he can't be one. 
All right. So let's uh, institute our rating system, Mikey. I want to know out of five severed thumbs, uh, including, I guess, no, three severed thumbs, two are your own. So our rating system, one out of five thumbs. (laughs) How many thumbs did you give this movie? Just one thumb. Just one. Just one thumb. There, Like I said, I feel like this movie does a good job of conveying its message and conveying what it's about and conveying its themes. I just think those themes happen to be dumb. And I think that they, it was just like sloppy. It was sloppy. They're just like kind of doing stuff. Like it just felt like a lot of excuses for them to do big gory kills. And, yeah. um, and they're like the, cam- the, the shaky camera work too. We didn't even talk about that at all, but it makes like being able to see any of the action happening very difficult also. So like, even if they're doing yeah. gory kills, I can't even really see them really well. So if they're trying to show it off, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Hard to track. Well, what rating are you going to give it? I give it 1.5, which I'm not going to snip off one of my own thumbs. So I'll use one of my thumbs and a half one from this basket. Mm -hmm. Snip it right here. Because, yeah, I think it's like relatively average. The first time you watch it, if you can kind of turn your brain off, maybe you could have a good time with it. I think some of the acting and some of the sets were pretty all right. Like I just kind of talked about with like Josh Hartnett and his his through line with his wife i guess that's that's the only acting mm-hmm. i'm really talking about the, the vampire <laughs> acting is hor- horrendous for me <laughs> yep and yeah like it, it's decently like aside from the editing with the shaky cam if it wasn't for that i'd say it's pretty decently shot you've got some like very sweeping vistas like when they first establish things that look pretty nice um so there's like some artistry involved and like you can tell they definitely cared about what they were making to make an attempt with making this different and like in a specific location. But just like, yeah, I don't think any of it really pulled off what it was trying to do. And yeah, it's like a waste of a much better concept, which is just a shame. A lot of wasted potential, I guess. So like that potential Ugh. and some hints of it, I think, you know, bump it up from just being a basic one for me. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, I got a question for you. Okay, what is your question, Mikey? If you had to survive a 30 days of night mm-hmm. with a team of people, characters rather, okay, from previous movies we've watched down here in the scary basement, who would be your five people? And answer in the form of a snake draft with me. Okay, all right. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm down for that. Real I've quick, I should done... explain the concept. Yeah, can you please explain the concept? Because I've never done a snake yeah. draft before, and I was really confused when we were doing this to begin with, <laughs> and I still might even be confused. So let's go. So there is a pool of characters from every movie we've watched here on The Scary Basement that are up to be drafted. But once a player is drafted, they are on either Team Mikey or Team Roxy. And so Roxy will have the first overall pick. She will get the first draft. And then after that, I will get the second pick. And then I will get the third pick. That's the snake part of it. So okay, so we go. Roxy we gets trade the number on. one overall pick. She is uncontested, can get whoever she wants. And then to kind of make up for that, I have two picks. And then Roxy has two oh, picks. Oh, okay. So we we choose in pairs. Okay. Yes. After the first overall pick. And then Got um, I get one. I get the last pick, which is just one pick. Okay. So we're just getting five. Five total, correct? Yes. Okay. Roxy, you and I have both assembled our big boards. We both have our top draft choices. Mm-hmm. And the floor is yours. With the first overall pick for the 30 Days of Night survival team taking on the vampires, mm-hmm. who do you choose for your team? 
The first pick of mine is Madison slash Gabriel from Malignant. So Madison in control of her Gabriel powers by the end of the movie uh, from Malignant yeah. is my number one pick. She can go toe-to-toe and slaughter all of them. No no contest. And if Gabriel ever That's took it. over, he'd want to slaughter them also. So even if she couldn't control them at one point, you'd still get a massacre of vampires for your squad. That is a great first pick. That uh, Madison from Malignant was on my big board. I won't Ooh. tell you where, but, oh, but okay. that was absolutely a character on my big board. <laughs> With the number two overall pick, and remember then after this, I'll take my number three overall pick. Mm-hmm. The number two overall pick, I am going to choose Nehru from Prey. Oh, okay. Nehru was on my list too. She is a hunter. Mm-hmm. She can uh, lean out a window fire a bow and arrow into plenty of vampires, take them all out. Yep. And then my next overall pick for the number three pick. Okay. Lori Strode from Halloween 2018. Mm, okay. Lori 2018. That's She's good. a mad survivalist. She has gone nuts and we're going to put those skills to use. She is going to take on the vampires. She's her house. If she lives in this town with me, her house is already like the perfect zone to yeah. bunker down in. That's to survive smart. every 30 days of Night Vampire. So those very are my first choice. two picks. Roxy, who are you taking number four overall, number two on your team? Okay, so number two on my team was Sarah from The Descent. Ooh, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. She fucks up a lot of those cave-dwelling freaks and goes completely feral. She is very into being able to adapt to her surroundings and absolutely <laughs> thrive, even at the cost of her personal sanity. But I'd say... If we're in a group setting, she'd probably be able to hang on to that part of herself, too. So I think she'd be more balanced, mm. but still have the ferocity from everything she learned from her time in the Descent <laughs> Caves. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I think that's a great pick to, to give you a little, like, pushback. Oh? Do Are we confident that that ending took place in real life or in her mind? Oh, like, whether she made it out or not, she still messed up a bunch of those guys. So mm, I, I th- okay. still think she would be a very good fighter for this squad. <laughs> Uh, she'd be able to go toe to toe, feral wise, with nothing but a. To be clear, ass. that is the <laughs> that is the horror movie version of. Do we think their college production will translate to the NFL? <laughs> like, do we think that they actually killed monsters, or did they kill monsters in their mind? <laughs> Definitely killed monsters. Uh, so, maybe not escape though. Maybe still insane down in the caves. Sarah from the Descent is your number two pick. Roxy, mm-hmm. where are you taking number three, number five overall? So my number three pick was McCready from The Thing. He already oh. has experience being up in the north, already has experience fighting monsters, already has experience setting traps, taking them out, being wary of the people around him if they're going to turn. Mm-hmm. He'd be able to ferret out that guy who was lying about being bitten by a monster way faster than uh, Evan did in this movie. So, And so- also, pre- pretty reliable, I'd say. He, he keeps his wits about him pretty well throughout that entire scenario, which is pretty pretty crazy scenario and yeah he'd be used to the cold so if we're stuck up there in the cold he'd probably have some survival tips as well to help someone like sarah from the descent who i don't know if she's ever been in the arctic before that's a great pick it also might come with a flamethrower yeah yeah it might come with a flamethrower too so that'd be a nice bonus Mm -hmm. i am going to take with the number six overall pick this is my third pick okay Uh, this isn't great Oh, I'm not, I'm doubting all my choices. I am going to take Clarice Starling from Silence of the Lambs. Mm. I think she's a real strong-minded leader. I think she would direct us all what to do. She's a very good FBI agent. Yeah. Very brave, 
did survive. Used to dealing with human monsters. Yes, that's the, that's the that's why I was getting hesitant. I was like, no supernatural experience, but I think that's gonna be. I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Clarice is solid. Take Clarice she, she'd be a solid teammate. And then for my fifth overall pick, we're gonna take Natalie Portman from Annihilation. Oh, okay, interesting. A lot of gun experience. She does. Very She's well a armed. soldier scientist. She's very capable. She's exactly. Yes, scientist. From... I think she might figure out a way to defeat the vampires that nobody had considered. Ooh, that's smart. Yeah. I don't think any of my picks really relied on brain power like that. That's a good choice. Mm. So I think that's where I'm at. That's my fifth overall pick. Roxy, who are you going to pick? Okay, so my next choice is Aaron from Your Next. Because, oh. oh boy, she's got literal survivalist training. Think about all the traps mm -hmm. she set up in there for those guys. She's very good at setting traps, very good at adapting to her environment, very good at, like, on a dime, swipping, switching into uh, survivalist protection mode. She's very good at not just looking out for herself, but the people around her. Um, and I think she'd pair very well with the McCready as well, where they'd be able to probably form formulate plans together. That's uh, to prepare one. for stuff and work together. Got, both got good head on her shoulders. Aaron's great. <laughs> uh, she'd be setting up sledgehammer traps in the door to uh, bonk, bonk vampires who tried to come into their special, what was it, attic? She booby trapped that entire house. I'd never get to that attic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, she'd be setting up her Looney Tunes level traps mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> down in the foyer <laughs> before they even get up. <laughs> yep. All right, Roxy, you're fifth. And final pick. So my number five and last pick is Ripley from Alien. Oh, that's a good pick. Ripley, she's got her head on the swivel. She knows something's wrong even before anybody else does. She's good at thinking about kind of like the health of the group. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily at least the expense of an individual, but she's like, wait a minute here. You're doing something fucked up. We need to think about this. You can't just go off half cock. So she'd be, I think, very level-headed, helping make decisions. She's also good at thinking on the fly. She's used to dealing with one giant predatory creature who is very smart. I'd say the alien is way smarter than any of these stupid vampires, but there is only one of them, so she doesn't really have experience with, like, groups like this. Uh, so I think she'd be able to balance out the rest of the team, especially because she's also got experience with, like, a supernatural-type alien creature, so she'd be used mm -hmm. to fighting monsters to an extent. Uh, also might come with a flamethrower or some sort of the weird robot cage contraption thing that she manipulates, maybe grafts some well, vampires in those claws. I would even them. make the argument over uh, 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 the exact opposite argument is just that like even without weapons she's like adept at finding new weapons yes. from what she's got yep. around her exactly she'd be yeah. able to improvise very well so I think her and Aaron would be making traps and making improvised weapons like nobody's business so I was thinking about like individuals within the group as well as like kind of a group dynamic together mm -hmm. when I made my choices so that's my number five I will take my final pick fifth pick tenth overall I'm not stoked about this one. This is Mr. <laughs> Nobody. Mr. Nobody. <laughs> That's not what they call him. The, the, whatever the last player drafted in the NFL has a specific nickname. It's like Mr. Inqu Inconsequential. Because it's like, if you don't get drafted, you just get signed. So it's like, you might as well just sign you know, <laughs> sign whoever you want. Um, but my final pick, I'm going to take Andy Barclay from Child's Play 3. What? Okay. I mean, I because guess by that point... That. This kid's a survivor, you know? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> this, this kid has made it through a lot. I just feel like he's a cockroach. I don't think he's ever going to die. 
I think he would be a, a good, like, moral heart of the group. He doesn't have a lot of fighting experience to bring, but he's who we would all be protecting, and that would be, like, almost a rallying cry for the rest. Kind of like everybody's little brother. They want to make sure he's... Right. He's good. Okay, yeah, I can see that. And, I mean, he does have experience with guns mm -hmm. as well, so that would help. So that's our draft. Real quick, Roxy, I'll go through it again. You drafted, number one overall, mm -hmm. your first pick, Madison from Malignant. Yep. Sarah from The Descent. Mm-hmm. McCready from The Thing. Mm-hmm. Aaron from You're Next. Yep. And Ripley from Aliens. That's a solid team. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm... Those were literally all of my top five choices, Mikey. I didn't have to go down further on the list at all. Oh, wow. Those were okay. just all the ones I had in order. Perfect. Great. Okay. And Mikey, your list. My list was, number one, I picked Nehru from Prey. Number two, Lori Strode from Halloween 2018. Mm-hmm. Number three, Clary Starling from Silence of the Lambs. Number four, Natalie Portman from Annihilation. Don't remember her character name. <laughs> nobody. Lena. And nobody knows. <laughs> And oh, then I mean, fifth, nobody knows. In the book, I started reading the Annihilation book. She's just oh. called The Scientist. Yeah, Steve. exactly. None of them have names in the book. Yeah. I hate it. Um, and oh, then okay. fifth overall, uh, Andy Barclay from Child's Play 3. Mm -hmm. So, Roxy, who are some honorable mentions you had? Some I... undrafted free agents. Some really good ones I'm very surprised you didn't pick. In particular, the seventh one on my list. Number six, I had Hans from Troll Hunter. Because oh, he's got yeah. Troll Hunter Man. He's used to also fighting them with sunlight. It was a really hard pick to do him or Ripley. Like, I had them kind of on evil foot, uh, equal footing because, like, he's used mm. to dealing with kind of wild creatures. He's used to dealing with sunlight specifically. He's got a whole van and car. Like, he's good at knowing the lore behind things and using that to fight them into his advantage. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was a tough one to let go of. Then number seven... I have Claire from Welcome to Raccoon City because we did do oh. a Resident Evil movie. Yep. She was the most competent one in that movie, got a lot of shots off. She was, and then it's a sneaky way to have a Resident Evil character on my team. Mm -hmm. I, I did scout Chris. I didn't end up, I didn't end up putting him on my list, but I was thinking like, I wonder if Chris. Yeah, but then I Chris and Claire were the most that. capable ones in that movie. But yeah, that that movie is its own thing. <laughs> the movie's too bad. You come from yeah. a bad college, you don't get to get drafted high in the NFL. Sorry. <laughs> then uh, number eight, I had Ash Williams from Evil Dead. But the thing is, in the first one, he's not like the powerhouse he becomes in the second one. So was, that's why he's pretty far down on the list. Because I know he'll be able to adapt to become very capable. So it's like mm. he would be someone who would sort of grow into his role. But when right. you get him from just Evil Dead, he's not quite there yet. So that's why he was further he's, down on my list. He's somebody you'll want to redshirt, right? You get him on your team and you sit him, you teach him some fundamentals, and he's going to be great. But he's yes. not somebody who can come in and start for you. I yeah, definitely not. Um, and then number nine was Naru from Prey, which you did snipe for me. So Naru, mm. very competent hunter. Very good choice, Mikey. Especially because she's used to using, like, not modern weapons. So, yeah, she'd be able to maybe even, like, make her own weapons. Because that's literally what the tribes would have had to have done back in the day. So, mm. she'd be very good at improvising, too, I think. And then, number 10, I had Louie from Interview with a Vampire. So, like, have a vampire <laughs> on your team. And so, Louie's, like, a pretty good dude. That's a great idea! Right? And he'd be like, what are these shitty vampires? We need to take them out. If he needed to, like, survive during that month-long period, you've got a whole group of people. He can just feed on them without killing them because I think he'd be very amenable to that. He seems like someone mm -hmm. who would prefer not to kill if he doesn't have to. 
Um, but he's very strong, and he also knows vampires. He's also a much better type of vampire, so he'd probably be a lot smarter to be able to take them down. Or maybe even parlay with them to be like, hey, I'm a vampire too, nah, 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 and then take them unawares, maybe. Well, that's something else that, like, it happens in the NFL a lot. You draft a player from an opponent, or I'm sorry, you uh, trade or sign an opponent's cut player so you can understand their playbook. You've got a vampire on your side. You can understand how vampires think. Yeah. Even if it's not the same vampire. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's a great big board. Um, so, mine yeah, is very hard. similar. Um, I also had Ash from Evil Dead. I had him at about mm. seven. So, okay. Same thing. Um, Madison from Malignant was actually my number 10. I just thought the oh, volatility really? was too much. She just could have, like, if Gabriel takes over, then it could yeah, go Yeah, like, that's why it's definitely, like, she she's someone who I think by the end of the movie she has a really good handle on it but we also have no idea what if they're going to do a sequel what <laughs> how long that's going to last so I think that's very fair choice to uh, yeah, have her further down the line yeah it's it's high risk high reward yes. yeah exactly my number two overall and I didn't take him because I I freaked out I wanted to get I wanted to load up on firepower before I started getting their brains I did have McCready as my number two overall mm, okay but I when it came down to it I took Laurie Strode and I mean, she's I also got that it. base. She's got that tactical base, too, if we're thinking she's about the how they might come with with items. Yeah, that is cool. I also had, I, I didn't pick them, but I thought Brody from Jaws would be a good self-sacrificer, yeah. which seems to be important in this universe. Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> thinking about him, too. Good choice. And then Michelle from Nine Cloverfield Lane, because the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement. Um, <laughs> I just feel I like she, about her again, too. it's... It's adaptability. It's adaptability that's going to be really important. You're not necessarily yeah. thinking you're going to be attacked by vampires, so you're making do with what you have around. So I think that would be an important skill. Yeah, I think she's very Andy psychological. Barkley just has the experience. Based, yeah, like she she knows how to navigate a situation socially when you have to be very cognizant and careful about what's going on. And then yeah, improvising, but yeah, against a human opponent. So I think Andy, who has experience with supernatural creatures, can shoot a gun and stuff and has mm -hmm. a track record of surviving i think yeah that's probably a better choice so roxy as just a little uh little treat oh. who do you think if our teams went against each other would mm -hmm. win not against vampires from 30 days of night yeah mono imana i think madison slash gabriel is just gonna decimate everything so I'd say I think that might be. Madison is the kicker. And even if Madison changes into Gabriel, Gabriel would kill everybody except for himself, maybe. So he would still be That's the true. only one standing. That's true. That's true. <laughs> even if he killed my own team. Potentially not a great team player. But if we're talking last man standing, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think Madison's <laughs> probably the answer. Yeah, Sarah, McCready, Aaron, and Ripley. I think they're all kind of hitting sort of the same notes as... Nehru, Laurie Strode, Clarice, Natalie Portman, yeah, Andy Barkley. Just like I, I think we both kind of tended towards uh, resiliency and improbability. You know, yeah. the kind of players who can scramble in the pocket. There are a lot of really good NFL mm -hmm. <laughs> metaphors I can make with this. Uh, the kind of players who can improvise if a play breaks down. You know, Clarice is the kind of person who can like figure it out and and get it back on track. Yeah, I think the rest of our teams are pretty evenly matched. But you're right. Number yeah. one overall versus number one overall, Madison from the Yeah, you literally have a character with, with superpowers, which is kind of unfair. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why she'd just decimate. All 
All right. What a great draft. Dude, I love snake drafting. Yeah, now I know how snake drafting works because I've literally never done this before. So it was a fun game. Oh, you will again. <laughs> Believe and I, me. People, I want people to respond what they would, what they think of our picks, too. I think that would be very yeah. fun. So you guys, please add I, us I on would love social to hear. media. I want to know what other people think and what they would choose, maybe, as well. Absolutely. Hit us up at Secret Blimp, at Red Mage Roxy, at Scary underscore Basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have team a Twitter would win. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Mikey, last week we made a bet. (laughs) And the bet was the timestamp for the first kill of the film. Mikey, you said Mm -hmm. five minutes in. And I said 20 minutes. And so the answer, we kind of debated this a little before him, but Mm -hmm. we were like, okay, we don't have time. We'll get into it later. So let's get into it now. Let's get into it now. Yeah. The first thing that we see die on screen are the dogs at seven minutes in. Dogs. But it's kind of like you see the knife go down and go up and it comes away with blood. You hear dogs yelping. You see like Mm -hmm. bloody paw pads on the snow not moving. And so in the past, we have had like animal deaths count. There was a bird that died in um, Mm -hmm. Hereditary. There was a wolf that died in Hit and Run in the beginning of The Invitation. So we have a track record of being oh, yeah. like, whatever dies first, be it human or creature, uh, that is what we will mm-hmm. count. So that's why I said seven minutes. But and for whatever reason, I the first man is killed at about 1810. So yes. we're actually both arguing to give each other the point. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Or just like, what should we set as the standard going forward? Because yeah, like if you do a kill count, like think about people who do those kill count videos. You're not going to count the mm-hmm. dogs, probably. You're going to count the human and who died. So this is my big argument. And this is why I, uh, this is how I answer the is a hot dog a sandwich question. It's if you ordered a sandwich and somebody brought you a hot dog, you'd say, what the fuck are you talking about? And so if you said how many, who was the first kill in a movie, in a horror movie especially, and they said, oh, the dog was killed, to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I know, you know what I mean when I say the kill in a horror movie, it's a person. So I think, and this is, you tell me if you agree with this, I think because we didn't specify <laughs> the last yeah. time, I'll take it. I'll take this point that I don't really want. But I do think in the future, we should yes. go. That's what First I think, too. Kill. I think you get it this time for seven minutes because that's what we have set up and established. But yeah, I think it should be first human kill. We will specify in the future. OK, <laughs> great. So next time I then win. That means I got it. Yep. Mikey wins this week. The score right now is Roxy at 32, Mikey at 27, Ty at four. Ooh. And it's just for funsies. Don't and now it's about. just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> we had our little miss bunch of hand ceremony and everything. <laughs> Uh-oh, Mikey, you see him? He's coming over. Demon ah! bot. Mikey got jump scared. He's scary. <laughs> Congratulations. You have successfully reviewed 30 Days of Night. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week to begin ringing in the holiday season, you must watch the 1993 film The Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selick. Okay, Roxy, we're doing it. Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I haven't seen this movie since I was a child. Me neither. It's going to be so much fun. I'm not like a fan of musicals, but I I love this movie, so I haven't watched it. It's given me a great excuse to watch it. I love musicals more than anything in my whole heart. What? How have I not known this about you? Excuse me? You don't know that? No. I love a musical. When people sing their feelings. It's a secret Mikey fact. That's lovely. Okay. Well, I will keep that I just started rewatching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a sitcom musical. God, it's a good It is? I didn't know it was a musical. Oh, it's incredible. It's a musical. Yeah, it's really good. 
Damn. Um, okay. okay. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yay. Uh, let's do a bet. Obviously, mm-hmm. since it is a musical, Roxy, what do you think will be the timestamp of the first song? Oh, gosh. I feel like it opens with one pretty early, maybe. So I'm going to guess three mm-hmm. minutes in. Mm, I think that's probably right. I've, I'm already locked in. I said 11 minutes in. I think it could uh, be pretty right. fair, though. It might, it might spend more time before it gets into it. I honestly can't remember. So we'll we'll find yeah, out don't, next don't week. Dick around. Don't <laughs> dick around for a while before they start singing. <laughs> could be. It also might be that they don't sing until they get to Christmas Town. You know what I'm saying? Like, they might hold mm. off the singing until they have crossed the threshold into the new world. So I don't know. I don't know. Who am I? Who are <laughs> you? Yes. All right. So we've talked about a lot of spooky, gruesome things like lost potential <laughs> in <laughs> premises of your movies. And uh, who who gets to count as a kill? That's pretty spooky. Do animals that have souls, spooky. Mikey? Who knows? Are we asking that question? I don't <laughs> think so, but maybe. Uh, so let's talk about I think they things. Do. I think so, too. The let's- cute ones do. <laughs> like bugs, they don't they die and cease to exist. But. <laughs> Uh, dogs and cats, they go right to heaven. Oh, little like angel ghost cat. It'd be so cute. Yeah, they float with a- angel wings and yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh So let's talk about other things that are making us happy this week then as well. Okay. Uh, so Mikey, what went on in your life that made you happy this week? Roxy, we talked a lot about football in our mm-hmm. snake draft segment. Boy, did we. I think, I think the Minnesota Vikings are making me happy. I think they might you be a good think, team this year. You say it with a question mark. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. They're seven. They've they've played eight games. They've won seven of them, lost one. Right? They're seven and one. That's objectively a great record for a sports team. But every game is super close, (laughs) and they can't like they've never put on the kind of dominant performance that you would see from a good team. And I should say we are saying this while the Minnesota Vikings are seven one. They just beat the Washington Commanders. I know this podcast will release in a few weeks after they have played the buffalo bills objectively the best team in football next week is when we'll know if they are anything (laughs) if there's anything to the minnesota vikings i don't expect them to win but i hope they'll put up a fight but if they don't but for right now the minnesota vikings make me happy every sunday when they come back and win it is thrilling i feel very bad when they're losing and then they come back from behind or they just eke out a victory and Oh, the feelings I feel, Roxy. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling happy right now. And hey, there's a lot of potential for things to go good, too. And either way, Mikey, they're still your fave. So that's true. I'll love them anyway. Yeah. Roxy, what's making you happy this week? So the thing that's making me happy this week is actually also sports related. What? Specifically (laughs) race cars. Because you're a Buffalo Bills fan. Oh, yes, of course, because I love Buffalo (laughs) Buffalo (laughs) Bills. I love you Buffalo know, Bills. Buffalo Bill, the killer from Silence of the Lambs. You know him. <laughs> He's set to win this year. Yeah, that's who the Vikings are playing next week, I should uh-huh. say. <laughs> a literal they put monster. the lotion on its skin or it will get another interception. <laughs> so the thing that's making me happy is race car related, which I am sending you a tweet. We will be able to do this in the show notes. And there's two parts to it. So this first one, Mikey... Please watch it and look at this insane thing this man does. I will describe it while you're watching it. So this is a race car driver. His name is Ross Chastain. He did this insane thing where he banked on the inside track, used fifth gear, which you never do. Let the arena, like, steer for him. Just, like, Mm. literally took his hands off the wheel. And it worked. He went super (laughs) far... 
he went from like close to last place to like fifth or something or fourth, like pretty far up there. Uh huh. It, his car is even kind of smoking. It's like smashing against the wall, but like not being destroyed. It's like actually steering and working. Like this it is worked so for him. cool. So the second part to this, which I think we can keep this audio possibly in the actual show. Played a lot of NASCAR 2005 on the GameCube with Chad growing up, and uh, you could get away with it. And I never knew if it would actually work. And I've, I mean, I've done, <laughs> I did that when I was eight years old. <laughs> When he was eight years old, he played with his friend Chad, the NASCAR GameCube game from 2005, and it let you do this trick. And so he was like, hey, I'm losing. Why don't I do this trick I played on the GameCube? And he did it and he won. <laughs> well, he, he did it and it worked. He did it and it worked. <laughs> the GameCube that game rules. taught him how to be better at NASCAR, and that's how he pulled ahead. And that's what he said in the interview. It's absolutely wild. And he's like, yeah, me and my friend Chad. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely amazing this guy ross chastain Roxy. it's probably very dangerous too but it somehow worked that is exactly how i feel when i do an escape room after playing as much resident evil as i have mm, okay yeah you're like yes it's I'm just like I, I, I don't know in resident evil sometimes they turn the box upside down and there's a key hidden under there and that's how i found the key me and my buddy chad we were playing resident <laughs> evil <laughs> on the gamecube <laughs> on the gamecube <laughs> So oh, that, that's fun. That was amazing. All right, Mikey, it's time for haunted plugs. So Scary Basement itself has a Twitter, which is scary underscore basement. And uh, Mikey, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp. And I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. Mondays and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. PST, Pacific Standard Time. The scariest time. I guess so. <laughs> And I'm on Twitter at Red Mage Roxy, and I am also on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy. I stream three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The spookiest time, as Mikey said. (laughs) So Thursday, you get a double whammy of both me and Mikey. So just head on over there, okay? Do it. What a day. Do it. (laughs) Please be really nice if you did. Also, make sure to give us five stars, five scary stars, on your favorite podcast app of choice. Also, leave a review. You know that helps us out. And don't forget to share and scare this podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. Mm-hmm.